Our scripture reading for this morning comes from Acts chapter 2. You may recognize part of it as the verse that we read every Sunday as our strategy. Let's read God's good word together. So those who welcomed his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone, because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. I want you to think back to when you were in school. I know for some of you that means thinking back a few decades. For others that maybe just means thinking back a few days ago. But think about whenever you're in school and you hear the words come from your teacher, group project. I know for some of you, particularly the introverts, your blood might have run cold at that memory, but, but think about group projects that you've been a part of. How did those go? I remember how I would feel about that. You know, I hope that I get with other people um, who are going to take this seriously, um, that I won't have to carry, that, that will help me to do this well. Um, I know that sometimes you think, I hope I don't get with slackers or people who aren't going to do their part. Some of us even thought, you know, I hope I get with the smart kids so that they will do all of the hard work. But those group projects can be really difficult. And, and for many of us, the memories that we have of those are not fond. That's the case for me, although there's one in particular that I remember extremely fondly. It is my favorite group project ever. And that's because in a college class, we had the assignment to create a work of art. And what we chose was a stop-motion video with action figures. Now, this is not one of the stars of our production. I did not own him at the time. But just to give you a sense of what that might have looked like, because that was recorded on a cassette that who knows where that lives now, um, if it's not in a dump. But this is a Star Wars action figure. Do you know who it is? I know some of you are saying Anakin Skywalker, and that is wrong. Because at this point, when he's being depicted in Episode 3, he has already become Darth Vader. And, and so, uh, okay, I know that doesn't really matter for the sake of the illustration, but anyway. But, but we had all of these action figures like Darth Vader, and uh, they danced, and they did all kinds of acrobatics, and we had such a good time. And we were actually devoted to this project. And so we were committed to it because it was fun, and we wanted to share the joy of dancing action figures with our classmates. And so we showed up, we did the work, and we were committed to our purpose, except for one guy who didn't show up as often as the rest of us, but all of the rest of us were devoted to it because we had a shared purpose. And we were able to create a community that created something that may not have been a work of art, strictly speaking, but was a lot of fun and made a lot of people laugh. Because there's something about whenever we come together around a shared purpose, around shared goals, following a shared strategy that creates communities that give life. And it makes such a difference whenever we are part of that kind of community. We're going to talk today about how we do that. My name is Pastor Brandon Blackston, and I'm excited to be with you today and to share this message. I'm the associate pastor here at Acts 2. And uh, we're continuing a, a two-part mini-series on Pentecost. Last Sunday was Pentecost Sunday, and uh, it is such a big day that we can't contain it to one, and so we're continuing today. We looked last week at Acts chapter 2, the scripture from which we take our name as a community of faith. And what we saw was that on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came and filled the disciples, forming a new community where all are welcome, where every single person is welcome. 
One of our big takeaways from that is that we don't follow Jesus alone. Whenever they came together, um, they were baptized into the faith, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and yet they didn't just go home and, and do whatever. They became part of a new community because whenever the Holy Spirit comes, the Spirit leads us into community. The Spirit invites us to be a part of a new community that God is creating that doesn't look like our old way of life, but looks like something new that God is doing. And and so, you know, this sounds great, but we know that sometimes communities don't quite live up to what they're they're capable of. They don't quite live up to what's possible. And uh, Dr. Christine Pohl talks about some of the ways that communities fall short. She says, while we might want community, it is often community on our terms, with easy entrances and exits, lots of choice and support, and minimal responsibilities. Mixed together, this is not a promising recipe for a strong or lasting community. Now, if you're a consumer, those things sound pretty nice, but if you're someone who's actually trying to build a community, particularly if you're a leader, you know none of those things are going to add up to create any kind of community that people want to be a part of. Because if we want to be part of a meaningful community, we know that it requires intention and shared commitments. Otherwise, it'll just fall off the rails and won't end up well for anyone. And without that intention, our communities will end up being guided by things that we don't want, like convenience, like image management, trying to make ourselves look good to other people, and by greed. That's not a kind of community that I want to be a part of. I'm guessing that's not the kind of community you want to be a part of either. And so we can learn to create the kind of community that leads to life, not all of those other things, but actually leads to life and flourishing and the fullness of God's people coming together into a new community. And the way that we can do that is modeled for us in that first community of Acts chapter 2 and by the disciples who were filled with the Holy Spirit on that first day. And so on that day, um, the Holy Spirit filled the disciples and Peter stood up and, and bore witness to the things that God was doing and invited the crowd that had assembled to be a part of that. On that day, 3,000 people joined the church and were baptized. And the 3,000 who were baptized embarked on a new way of life together. They didn't go home and, and continue on as they were, except they had now been washed in the waters of baptism, but their life was different. And their example shows us how we can participate in a community that gives life if we follow the strategy that they embody for us. And if you've been around Acts 2 for any period of time at all, you know that Acts 2.42 is our strategy. It's the way that we structure community life in a way that helps us to reach our goal. And that goal is to help non-religious and non-active Christians become radical Christ followers. Everything that we do is aimed toward that goal. And, um, and wherever you are in that process, whether you're someone who's just thinking about taking the first step, um, this whole Jesus and God thing is, is new to you, or if you're someone who, who is so close to Jesus that whenever you walk into the room that, that people pretty much feel like he's there, wherever you are, our goal is to help you take your next step. And the strategy is the way that we do that. And so we read that every Sunday whenever we gather, um, online or in person. And what we say is this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And, and that guides us, those four things that are listed. And, and I, I really like it. it. It helps sometimes for us to get a fresh perspective whenever we hear things in a new way. And so I really like the way that Luke Timothy Johnson, the New Testament scholar, translates that same verse. He says, they were constant in their attention to the teaching of the apostles, the fellowship, 
the breaking of bread and the prayers. And specifically, they were constant in their attention. Um, not just they were devoted, but this, these were the things that they gave their attention to. And it wasn't just they would spend a few minutes on it a day, but they were constant in their attention. And so the disciples were united by the Holy Spirit and constant in their attention to these four things. And as we continue to follow their strategy, as we continue to practice those four things, we can become that kind of community as well and continue to be that kind of community. And so the first one, the apostles' teaching, that's what gives their community a sense of shared authority, of, of trusting the same sources and using those as guides for their life together. And so the apostles' teaching. Now, the apostles were witnesses to the ministry, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Whenever it was time for the the apostles to replace um, the twelfth, Judas, who had died, um, that was the standard that was given. We read about this in Acts chapter 1. So one, of the men, so one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us to his resurrection. And so what we see, uh, the apostles are their witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus who were part of his teaching and ministry and who are witnesses. And what the word apostle means is that one who is sent out, sent out by Jesus to be his witness in the world. And so the, the apostles did that, and as they did that, they performed many wonders and signs, which then affirmed their authority and continuity with Jesus. And so we read about this as, as Luke explains it to us. Now, whenever we read Acts 2.42, um, that kind of gives us a summary of the activities of the early church. He then goes on in the following verses to explain what those look like. And so we read Acts 2.42 about the apostles' teaching. In Acts 2.43, we read about how they actually lived that out. And so um, it says, Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. And so the apostles were teaching. They were also performing wonders and signs. They were doing miracles like the ones that Jesus did. And so in doing so, they were affirming that they had the same power that he did because they were empowered by the Holy Spirit and also the same authority that he had granted them to continue his ministry together. And so we may not be able to actually physically experience that. We, you know, there's about a 2,000-year gap that makes it hard for us to see the kinds of wonders and signs that they actually performed. Um, but the apostles' teaching is, preferred, is preserved for us through the Scripture. And very early on, the church has recognized that this is the way that the apostles' teaching gets handed down to us. Um, we read about this from the writings of Justin Martyr, who gives us the first full... Um, full account of a Christian worship service around the year 150, so about uh, just over 100 years after the resurrection of Christ. This is what he writes. On the day called Sunday, all who live in cities or in the country gather together to one place. Sounds very much like the book of Acts. And the memoirs of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read. And so, so the first thing that they do is read from the teaching, the memoirs of the apostles and the writings of the prophets. They do this as long as time permits. Then when the, re- when the reader had ceased, the president, that is the one who was presiding, the pastor, verbally instructs and exhorts the imitation of these good things. And so they would read the scriptures. They would read the works of the prophets. They would read the teachings of the apostles, what would become for us the New Testament. And the preacher would then encourage them to continue those things. Because whenever we read the scripture, what we're doing is looking for the witness to Jesus, which is what the apostles embodied. 
And, and so this is how Dick Murray describes it. He was a, um, a longtime teacher at Southern Methodist University. He says, The word of God is Jesus Christ, and the words of the Bible tell us about that word. Therefore, when we study the words of the Bible, we always look behind, in, and through those words for God's word, Jesus Christ. And so we study scripture so that we can read the witness to the one who gives us life to Jesus. Because the scripture points us to them. It's a testimony to his life, to his death and his resurrection, and the saving work that God did in and through him and through the people of Israel. And so we look for the word of God as we're reading that. And one of the things that we see through the example of the early church is that scripture is best studied together. It's not something that they did individually, but actually would come together to study, because there's something about coming together to study God's word. We hear things from others that we wouldn't have gotten by ourselves, and the Holy Spirit shares things with others that they then share with us that we never would have gotten if we were at home alone just reading the Bible by ourselves. And whenever we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, signs and wonders still occur. Sometimes they're great and glorious things. Sometimes they're things that seem mundane, but whenever we recognize them in our lives, we realize that they are miraculous. Whenever we realize that we are healed from guilt and shame, whenever we really experience forgiveness, whenever we're reconciled with people that we have had our relationship with broken, those things still are miracles today that we can experience whenever we follow the apostles' teaching. And so that is the first one. That is our shared sense of authority that we get. The second is our shared ethos, the thing that guides our life together, the way that we interact with one another, and that is fellowship. And if you've grown up in the church, you maybe think of fellowship as the kind of small talk that you make in the fellowship hall. I mean, where else would you do it? Because that's where you have coffee, and that's where you have donuts, and that's where you can talk about the football score from the day before, or or what happened in town, or, or whatever those things are. But one of the things that we see in Acts 2 is that fellowship is so much more than small talk over coffee and donut holes. Now, I love coffee. I drink way more than I should, probably. I I love donut holes, too. And uh, fortunately, by the time I have a chance to eat them, they're usually put up. So that's a good thing for me. But, But what happens over those things is good. At least it can be. But that's not the fullness of fellowship. That is just scratching the surface. And whenever we look to the word the New Testament uses, the Greek word for fellowship, koinonia, what that actually denotes is something much deeper, not just just acquaintance, not just small talk, but communion, close relationship, and sharing. And whenever we look at the example of the disciples, we see that sharing is actually fundamental to what it means to be in fellowship with one another for them. For these disciples, fellowship meant sharing life and possessions, not just conversation, but life and possessions. And so um, Luke continues in Acts 2, 44 and 45. He says, All who believed were together and had all things in common. So they actually spent time together. They didn't just belong to the same church, the same community, but they actually were together. And they had all things in common. They actually shared their stuff. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute their proceeds to all as any had need. Now, I think that is such a phenomenal portrait of what it actually means to be in in fellowship. And and it's so phenomenal that it actually makes me a little bit nervous because I kind of like my stuff. I'm not real anxious to go and sell it so that I can give the money to somebody else. But that's the way that they live together. They would actually give up their things so that everyone could have enough. This is what um, scholar Dr. Robert Wall says about what fellowship looks like in the early church. He said, A fellowship of believers shares more than common beliefs and core values. They display a profound regard for one another's well-being as a community of friends. 
And so whenever we're in fellowship with others, you know, we're not just friends with them. We don't just like to talk about the same things. We actually share a profound regard for one another's well-being, and we're even willing to give of ourselves in order to make sure that everyone's well-being is safeguarded. Because we know that, that in our relationships, if we're not willing to give anything, those relationships don't have a chance of being very meaningful. It requires of us to give of ourselves if we're actually going to have meaningful relationships. And the way that we strengthen meaningful relationships is, and I love the way Cal Newport puts that, is by making non-trivial sacrifices that improve their lives, the lives of the people that we're in relationship with. Now, I love it because anytime you say non-trivial, you sound really smart, especially if you get it right the first time. But it also reminds us that, you know, some of the ways that we interact with our friends, you know, in a group text, sending a message, sending somebody a DM or writing on their Facebook wall, you know, that can be nice, but it's, it's a pretty trivial amount of effort. And those aren't the kinds of things that can sustain a relationship. What actually sustains relationships is showing up, giving of ourselves, giving of our time, giving of our resources for the well-being of the other. I'll never forget, whenever I was in college, my dad had a stroke and we were in the hospital and waiting to see what would happen. I remember there was a man who showed up. He was a family friend, not someone I was particularly close to. He was older than my parents, but he came and sat with us in the waiting room until nearly midnight, just sitting with us and talking with us. And, and just the fact that he would be there just to comfort us and to make sure that we weren't alone during those critical moments is something that I will never forget. I'm so grateful for Floyd and the time that he spent being with us in the aftermath of that scary event. But it requires us to actually show up, to be there for one another, to actually give of ourselves in order to strengthen those relationships. Friendship demands that we share our time and our resources for our brothers and sisters, that we actually give of what we have if we're actually going to have fellowship and friendship together. You know, one of the questions that occurs to me, I don't, I don't think that the scriptures are asking us to actually, you know, basically live in a commune to sell everything that we have and, and to pool our possessions. But, but this scripture does give me pause and, and makes me ask myself, you know, do my possessions have such a grip on me that sharing them is unimaginable? Is that a block for me that, that I, I'm not willing to, to actually do that, that, you know, I like my stuff so much that I'm unwilling even to consider parting with it? I think that's an important question for us to ponder. Because as people who are part of maybe the, the, wealthiest, um, the wealthiest civilization that's ever been part um, in the history of the world, that we probably have an unhealthy relationship with our stuff. And that's undermining our relationships and the potential for, our, um, for us as part of a community of faith. But that fellowship requires us to be willing to give of ourselves for the benefit of all. And so that's the second practice. The third is prayer. And that's our shared practice, the thing that we come together to do. And so what we see in the example of the early church is that after Pentecost, the disciples continue to worship in the temple in Jerusalem. They still considered themselves Jews. Um, They were part of Judaism and still worshiped in the temple. They just followed Jesus as part of that. It's not until much later, which we see in the book in Acts chapters 10 through 15, that Christians actually, um, actually people come into Christianity who aren't already Jews, um, who don't become Jewish first. And so that it takes a while for the church to get there, but they continued to worship at the temple. And, um, and so that's what they did. It says day by day, they spent, as they spent much time together in the temple. And the thing for us to see there is that they did spend much time there, that they spent time worshiping together. 
And whenever we read about prayers in Acts 2.42, what it's referring to is corporate prayer and worship services. They gathered together to worship God, to offer their praise, and to praise God. Because at its core, the church is a worshiping community. That's fundamentally who we are. That is our primary activity together. We are part of a community, but what we gather for is to worship God, to praise God, to offer God our best. And we praise God whenever we worship together for who God is and what God has done. Recognizing God's goodness and recognizing all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ in the sending of the Holy Spirit and what God continues to do in us, for us, and through us today. We gather together to worship. Then the next, the next of the four practices is similar, and it fits part and parcel with worship, and that is our shared ritual, the thing that unites us, and that is the breaking of bread. And, and so the people, the early disciples would go and they would worship at the temple, and after worshiping publicly, they would break bread together at home. This is how that, um, that last part of, the, of Acts 2.46 ends. Luke says, They broke bread at home, and ate their food with glad and generous hearts. Now, whenever we hear that, it, it, we can read that as just, you know, sharing a meal together, but actually has resonance of, of things that came earlier in the Gospel of Luke. Um, Luke and Acts are written by the same person. Acts is almost a, a volume two to um, Luke's Gospel, but, but when we hear that phrase, we remember things that we saw in the Gospel of Luke. And so first we read about this in um, Jesus' Last Supper with his disciples. And it says, Then he took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so whenever Jesus broke the bread, it's, it's a reminder of the institution of the Lord's Supper, the, the meal that we celebrate together as communion. Then there, there's another episode later in the gospel after Jesus' resurrection that's also um, a part of this that is recalled by Acts um, 2.42. And, and it is this. It says, um, now there were a couple of disciples who were in Jerusalem and following Jesus' crucifixion, they headed back to their home in a town called Emmaus. And, and a traveler came and started traveling with them. And they didn't know, but it was Jesus. And so he was going to go on his way and, um, and ended up coming in being convinced to come and have dinner with them. And, and this is what happened. When Jesus was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And so in the breaking of the bread, they actually recognized that this traveler who was with them was Jesus. And so they couldn't keep this news to themselves. They thought he was dead and now recognized that he was alive. And so they went to, to the apostles to tell them and then they told what had happened on the road and how Jesus had been made known to them in the breaking of bread. Made known to them in the breaking of bread. And whenever we share communion together today, Jesus continues to be made known to us in the breaking of bread. And so one of the things that we see is in the early church, um, communion wasn't something that was celebrated in a sanctuary at a church. It was actually celebrated in homes um, with a full meal, not just a wafer and juice and, uh, or, or wine, but something that they actually gathered a full meal together and, and practiced it in such a way that Paul actually had to warn some people not to eat all the food before others could be there and not to drink so much wine that they became drunk. But, but it was a full meal, and, and that developed over the years to, to where we are today over the centuries. And uh, we still continue, though, that core practice of celebrating communion whenever we gather. Um, throughout the early church, that was something that was done every time the church gathered for weekly worship. And so today we continue to celebrate communion every Sunday because it, it's the ritual that holds us together, that reminds us who we are as people who are the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. And so those four things, the apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, 
and prayers are at the core of who we are, and they hold us together, and they give us strategy as a community of faith. And so that's how we try to live together. That's what we use to guide us as we live that out. And, and in particularly, the way that we talk about that whenever we're living this out is through what we call worship plus two. Worship plus two. And so it starts with weekly worship. Um, not just every now and then, but actually showing up every week because we are created to give God praise. And as we do that, we are fulfilling what we are created for, and God continues to form us through that process. We're formed in the apostles' teaching and the breaking of bread and the prayers, and God forms us and shapes us as individuals and communities. We practice that together as we do the thing that is at our core, what we're all about. We worship because we're a worshiping community. And then, so, so that's where we start. And then we also find a place to learn. And as we do that, we grow in our knowledge of Scripture. We grow in fellowship with one another. We're able to have conversations that you can't have in passing on a Sunday. And then we also are able to study the Scripture more deeply, to actually dive deep into what it says and how we apply it to our lives. And then finally, we find a place to serve. And that's where we can actually live out our fellowship by offering ourselves. We offer our time, we offer our gifts, so that others can experience the things that we have experienced, so that we can make it possible for them to participate in the apostles' teaching, in the fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and the prayers. That's what happens whenever we serve. And when we practice this strategy, we experience the kind of community that gives life, so that others will get to, will see our example and will desire it, and that they might get to experience it as well. Because whenever the early church did those things together, this is what happened. Luke uh, concludes with this. He says, Pray, they gathered and were praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Not just because they, they were saying the right words and going out and handing out the right tracts, but because people saw their way of life together and wanted to be a part of it. And that's what's possible for us as well. Whenever we embody these things, when we live the strategy out, people want to be a part of what we have experienced as well. And so here are a few action steps that I want to challenge you to take to continue to live out this strategy. First, I want to challenge you to assess where you are with worship plus two. And, and what is your next step? Maybe that's, you know, I'm, I worship occasionally and, and I want to try to start worshiping weekly. Um, that's where I feel like it is. Maybe it's you don't have a place to learn and you want to find a group of people that you can study with, that you can pray with, that you continue to grow with. Or maybe you don't have a place to serve and are looking a place for a place where you can use your gifts to serve others and make it possible for them to experience what you've experienced. So, so take a look, ex- assess where you are, and figure out what is your next step for you to take. And then, as the apostles shared in the breaking of bread together, I want to challenge you to invite someone to share a meal with you this week, to actually break bread, to share in fellowship, to share deeply about your lives together and strengthen that relationship so you can experience that together. And then we know that summer is a challenging time whenever schedules are crazy and people are all over the place. So I want to challenge you to decide today how you will live the strategy this summer. Um, As you're traveling, how will you find time to worship? How will you find ways to connect with other Christians? You know, maybe you can't meet every week with your small group, but how will you stay in touch? How will you continue to grow together? And then what will you do in order to serve? Maybe that's a formal way that you can serve on a Sunday morning in the gathering space. Maybe that's finding ways that as you're traveling with your soccer team that you can bless others in your midst or you can bless the people um, that you encounter on the way. But what is your strategy? And decide on that today because it's really easy to just drift through summer and to say, well, we'll pick all that up whenever school starts again. Don't let that happen because whenever we do that, we miss out on the kind of community that, that the Spirit invites us into and others will miss out on it as well. 
Because whenever we follow the way of the Spirit, whenever we follow the strategy, we can be a part of something that gives life, that doesn't diminish it, that strengthens us, and that strengthens the world and helps others to experience the love and joy of Jesus Christ. I want to invite you to be a part of that and to create that kind of community with me today. Let's pray together. God, we're so thankful that you invite us into this community of Christ and that we have the opportunity to be a part of it, that you gave us the teaching of the apostles, that you invite us into fellowship, that we can come together to pray and to worship and to share in communion. And God, we pray that you would help us to embody those things so powerfully that others see it and can't help but want to be a part of it. And we thank you that you have embodied it for us in Jesus, and that in his love we see how deeply you love us and invite us into your family. We thank you for his example, for his sacrifice, and that he taught us even how to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. What has been wonderful worshiping with you today, and if you um, have been blessed by what you've experienced, we'd love for you to subscribe or to like or follow um, whatever platform you may be on. We would love to continue to be in relationship with you. And particularly want to invite you to be a part of our next sermon series that starts next Sunday. It's going to be awesome. Here is a quick look at what that will be. Scripture calls us to be light in the darkness. To let our light shine. In the first words written in our New Testament, Paul called a small group of new Christians to be children of the light. 2,000 years later, the first letter to the Thessalonians still offers powerful guidance for us today as we live as people of the light. I'm excited about this series. Pastor Mark is going to be kicking it off next Sunday. I hope you'll join me for it.